Welcome to Space Out, a one-episode podcast brought to you by Annie, Victoria, Charlotte and Laura. Have you ever taken a moment to think about the space you are in? How does it make you feel? Have you ever thought about your place in this space? Have you ever felt out of place, out of space? In this episode, we will try to unfold what space and place are for us and how where we come from and live in has impacted us as graduate students and changed how we think about space. We hope you'll stay with us and enjoy listening. I'm Victoria Kenyon. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns, and I'm a second-year doctoral student at the University of Delaware, studying art history. I'm from the U.S. originally. I grew up an Air Force brat, which is the term used for the children of members of the military, so I moved around about every two years when I was younger. In total, I've lived in one country outside the U.S. and eight different American states, including Delaware, where I live now with my partner and our three cats. I'm Annie Rose O'Brien. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a fat white femme from the foothills of the Brushy Mountains in North Carolina. Uh, I love to travel and explore, but I've really spent the majority of my life living here in NC, um, and I'm still living here today. There's just so much geographic diversity in the state. Um, it's just a place that you know I know so well, uh, but still love to learn and explore every day. And I am a PhD candidate at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, studying religion in the Americas. Hi, I'm Charlotte Dublot-Ferré. I use she, her pronouns. I'm Zooming actually from France, where I'm from. I did travel quite a bit within and outside of France for my studies. I don't think I was really planning to travel. It happened and I'm, I'm glad it did. I'm doing my PhD in Francophone literatures at the University of Maryland, located on the ancestral lands of Piscataway people. Yeah, so to start the conversation today, we know where you're Zooming from, Charlotte, uh, but where is everyone else calling in from? Currently, I live in Newark, Delaware, which is on the ancestral homelands of the Lenni Lenape. I've lived here for almost a year and a half now. And I'm Zooming in from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, from the ancestral homelands of the Cherokee, Catawba, Lumbee, and Sara peoples. And whew, I've been here for about 15 years now. Time really flies. <laughs> I really love how uh, international our court is. And I'm, I'm curious to see if this diversity conceals similar experiences. So maybe let's start at the roots. What do you consider home, Victoria? Yeah, I, I would say that I don't really have a quote unquote home. I have a lot of places that are important to me, places I've lived or where my family has lived, mostly in sort of the southeast of the U.S. and also the southern half of the U.S. Um, but I have places that I've visited a lot, but not really a specific place I consider home. When I think of that word, my first mental image is of the house I share with my partner, which is itself a temporary space that we're renting. So to me, that's where I think of as home. 
Yeah, I really echo that sense of um, the home as the site of the familiar, as the site of family, of relationships. Uh, for me, North Carolina has always felt like home. It's the space that I can really tra like traverse with ease uh, while always learning more about its history. But also, home is absolutely the space I share with my spouse and our very unruly cats. Um, I also have older parents who live nearby, and so it's for me, it's always really felt um, and still feels very important to be near them and to have that um, sense of, but also just literal closeness with them. Um, for me, the, the notion of home, of where I belong, probably arose when I immigrated to the United States. Before that, as a privileged white French girl, I never really thought about where my roots were. And so I, I think that home was what was not foreign, you know. So in the U.S., home was my country, France, because it was the place where I had left my family and friends and so a place of familiarity after all. Yeah, I really think that all of our answers are also pointing to the ways in which um, space travels with us. The spaces we're informed by, that we carry with us, uh, wherever we are day to day or just in that period of our lives. And I mean, right now we're also embodying the space and identity as graduate students. So I wanted to ask, have our experiences with notions of home and space impacted us as graduate students? Uh, has it provided challenges, benefits, inspiration? Oh, yes. Yes, I, I think, you know, studying in another country, in another system, has inevitably influenced my way of seeing things. Um, first, they are purely down-to-earth things, you know, getting a visa, keeping your visa, renewing your visa, which reminds you that you don't belong completely, right? So I think when I arrived in the US, I remember once I, I wondered in the street if people could, without talking to me, see that I didn't belong because this, this was the feeling I had and I could uh, really feel so hard. So this dimension, this aspect is one of discomfort and confrontation with otherness. But then you are, you also become more flexible, you know, and more open. I find it very interesting, for example, to navigate academia in the United States and in France. On both sides of the Atlantic, there are so many rules that are held up as absolute truth, when in fact, practices, methodology, expectation are so different. So in the end, it helped me to put things into perspective, you know, and gave me a great deal of freedom in the way I conceptualize my research work, because I realized that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Those are such valuable perspectives. Uh, for me, not having a defined place to call home made some things feel more complicated, uh, but in different ways, I think, than what you're describing. Uh, I feel that many of us in the humanities draw inspiration from sites and areas with which we are familiar for our studies. But because I moved around so much, I always felt a little bit like an outsider no matter where I was living. So I didn't ever really develop strong connections with a particular place. Uh, but perhaps that encouraged me and my scholarly choices to focus on kind of wider geographic locales. And more specifically, my upbringing also encouraged me to interrogate systems of imperialism in U.S. history, uh, which are not just past, but also present. 
I also think that traveling and moving a lot can be a really effective way to build empathy skills, which is crucial to humanities research, as I'm sure we all have discovered. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, these are such great points. Thank you all so much for sharing. And uh, just to add my own perspective, growing up in the southern U.S. similarly absolutely shaped my perspective of the world. And in one way, you know, it gave me this very deep-seated anxiety around controlling and curtailing my southern accent, uh, since that's something that tends to be a way to uh, have someone mark me as an ignorant hick or a dumb hillbilly. Um, I actually have family in Pittsburgh that would never visit because they would always tell me, your IQ dropped 10 points once you passed the Mason-Dixon line. Um, and I, I get it. I grew up in an area where religion has often been seen as synonymous with these um, political and socially conservative evangelical Protestant movements, um, and where anti-Black racism and white claims to supremacy are still on full display. But my mom was, and, and still is, uh, actually a social worker. And so it was important to her that I experienced the different places and spaces that existed within our community. Uh, I don't think she I don't think she would phrase it quite this way, but I know she wanted me to see the types of spaces that we really allow to exist that mark people as lesser in the community. She really wanted me to see how classism and racism and ableism really impacts the uh, spaces you have access to, the spaces you're accepted into. She really wanted me to see how the spaces you can and can't be in can change faster than you think. And she really wanted me to think about how we bring all these seemingly disparate places and spaces together. We've talked about how spaces have impacted us as individuals, uh, but how do you all interact with space in your research? Is it something you talk about or are interested in? How does your discipline affect how you think about space and place? That's a, that's a good question, Victoria. I think uh, I'm, in, um, I'm a student in Francophone literature and I'm studying literatures of Oceania to use the concept of the anthropologist Epeliofa. And my goal is also to adopt a decolonial perspective. So I think the very nature of my research immediately led me to question space in two very different ways. Firstly, f from an individual point of view, since I'm not Maori, I'm not Polynesian from French Polynesia, I'm not from French Polynesia, I had to question my position in this field. This is my responsibility to also situate my discourse. Then, as I'm studying contemporary indigenous writers, primar primarily from French Polynesia, I couldn't avoid tackling the question of space, since one of the priorities of these writers is to reinvest a space that has been colonized whether by experimenting with genre, reclaiming narratives, or through political activism. What, what about you, Victoria? How has space come up in your work as a scholar? Yeah, as an art historian, I spend a lot of my time thinking specifically about objects. Uh, what I study are mostly paintings, photographs, and hand handheld works on paper. Uh, and I think about these objects really in terms of their scalar relationships to human beings quite a bit. So, for example, thinking about, you know, what is the experience of holding or viewing this object? How does its size correspond to the size of the person who is likely interacting with it? Distance and positionality, both literally, physically, and metaphorically, are all important in thinking about the impact a work of art can make on a person. The material qualities of an object can be central to its rhetorical power. 
It's so great to hear all of you talking about your work and your experiences. Uh, for me, in religious studies, I'm thinking a lot about how space shapes our understanding of what is sacred in a society. So why do we know certain stories about particular spaces, but not others? Why is challenging or complicating these stories and these landscapes seen by some folks as an act of desecration? And how do we draw more attention to the buried histories which are submerged all around us, as well as you know why they were buried in the first place? So the work I'm doing actually works with soil and thinking about soil as this living and changing archive. I think of soil as a site of DNA, of memory and exchange, that really highlights the continued presence of the past in shaping both the present and possible futures. It's also a site that really challenges normative ideas of humans as these discrete embodied individuals. And so my work is thinking about how we can understand humans as part of these broader ecological assemblages. And I see it as a counter to these historical narratives that are ensconced and enshrined or etched into our landscape through the construction of seemingly permanent stone monuments and memorials. It values ideas of impermanence, of movement, mobility, change, connection, entanglement. And because we have dominant and counter narratives of the US that are using religious studies terminology to defend and disrupt their notions of what is sacred, what is profane, I think a religious studies lens is a really important way of both addressing uh, these histories and seeing the inseparability of Christianity from broader discourses of American nationalism, white claims to supremacy, anti-black racism, dispossession, environmental degradation, and racial capitalism. Wow, nice dissertations in perspective, folks. Space is really this shape-shifting concept right? It's not surprising that, like history, it is so politicized or ide ideologized, because it's so uncatchable and plural. So let's think about it maybe now in terms of interactions. How do these spaces interact with each other? Oh, I love that question. Um, in my field, in religious studies, there's a term that used to be used a lot that's really fallen out of style, Uh, syncretism. So this idea that, you know, two discrete religious traditions are encountering each other and then combining in some way to make something new. But part of the reason it's not really relevant anymore is because it suggests this idea that we can find an origin point, right? That religion is something that isn't constantly changing and shifting and moving. Uh, because when we think about religion, what we're really thinking about is people, right? I have a lovely colleague who always reminds me and reminds us that We can't sit down and have a cup of coffee with religion. Uh, it's such an important part of not losing sight of who and what we're talking about. And for me, that is also that space is always being constructed, negotiated, and challenged in different ways by different people. We just don't always get to learn about or immediately counter these different, very entangled histories. Mm. Yeah, I, I really like this world entangled. Um, I think for sure the notion of space Um, has also to be considered from the point of view of movement, right? Like interaction, entanglement between spaces, because it's not just a space itself that's not moving. It's, it's always like those relationships. So if I just had to give an answer, I think I'd answer in terms of my research again. To, to come back to Tongan th the Tongan thinker, Epelia Ofa, 
he conceptualized the idea of Oceania as a common consciousness among inter-archipelagos communities. And this idea was also the beginning of a real cultural renewal for Maui writers from French Polynesia, a drift from discourses from France and a way of reclaiming their space, Oceania, holistically through cultural and sport collaboration. What you're all saying is really driving home for me the fact that as scholars and people, we're all influenced by the people with which we come into contact, uh, including those who we might only encounter once in our travels and never see again in person, um, as well as the scholars that we read. And I think objects really have the same power. That's part of why I find smaller elements of material culture, like photographs and cards, for example, so compelling. Uh, their small size makes them portable, so they can actually have an outsized impact because of how they can be transported across spaces, not to mention time. Which kind of gets us back into thinking about what we're doing here um, in this digital space. So we've all joined this institute because we're excited about learning to podcast. And so I wanted to ask, how does our work relate to the medium of podcasting? Uh, sharing information wildly, even with people with whom we're not in the same physical space, and also amplifying voices that might not be heard otherwise. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's very relevant, and we were talking about it at at the beginning of this week. But for me, when I saw this podcast training, I was in the middle of interviewing uh, an author from French Polynesia. Chantal Spitz. She's very charismatic. And I was doing it in a, an extremely novice way, not knowing what I was doing. I was on Zoom without any kind of mic. But somehow I really enjoyed it. And I, I saw this medium as a way of extending this interview and making it accessible to even more people. I think podcasts can make voices effectively borderless. That's a great point, Charlotte. The public-facing nature of podcasting is a big reason why I'm interested in it, too, even though my medium of art history and visual and material culture might not seem like it necessarily translates super well to an audio medium. I think that podcasting is really a tool that can help us escape the bubble or maybe echo chamber of academia a little bit. Absolutely. Um, these are such important points about accessibility, the echo chamber, uh, Charlotte, I love this idea of removing the borders of space. And we're really thinking a lot about who gets to be in these spaces, what voices are present or absent, and how these spaces that we're in come with a lot of expectations as well as historical baggage. And I have to say, it's been so encouraging to be in this digital space with all of you and see the ways in which we're all rethinking the type of space academia has to be um, and making space for new approaches that really ground our work in community and care. And I know we've all written or are writing or will write at some point a small pile of papers that, you know, the joke is no one will ever read them except other academics. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the podcast, I think similarly for me, is this way of honing in and translating my research and my connections and my passions into this more accessible format, um, which also just feels like a type of magic to me. When we first started getting together, and getting to know each other earlier this week, one of the things that we really connected on is how central the idea of space is to our work. Of course, that word has had a real moment in the spotlight over the last few years, 
the need to build safe spaces for communities, individuals, women, queer folk, workers, and that's just to name a few. So let's highlight in our final words how spaces are intentional and constructed, for better or worse. We never just inherit raw spaces. All of these different systems and structures of religious, racial, colonial oppression, these things that we study not only physically manifest, but also work to build the world around us. And as teachers too, we need to address how students can sometimes take this for granted and especially worry about how efforts to historically narrate and unpack present day spaces are being undermined through attacks on public and higher education. Before we sign off today, we wanted to give a quick note to say that one of our project members, Lara Jury, was not able to give her audible voice to this project due to their own movements through space across the Atlantic Ocean. However, Lara contributed their rich ideas to this project through text, which you can find linked in our show notes. Please check it out. Thanks for listening. We hope that Space Out has encouraged you to think about the places you are. This one-episode podcast project has been brought to you by Charlotte jublo Ferre, Laura Jury, Victoria Kenyon, and Annie Rose O'Brien. Our intro and outro music is Cinematic Orchestral Percussion by Gregor Quindle, and our cover art is designed by Charlotte jublo Ferre. Yay! Good job, everybody! That sounded awesome!